Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Welcome, everyone, for those here, those following online. Uh, We are going to continue in our series in the book of Matthew, which is why we read from Galatians. Um, Allow me to explain. Last week, we started uh, a series within a series. We've been going through the book of Matthew for about a year and a half, and and sometimes we'll have a series within a series. And we bumped up against Matthew 23, where Jesus, excuse me, whoa, Jesus just, I mean, he just goes off. I mean, he, he sounds the warning and he's, he's speaking against the Pharisees, and he's speaking against legalism. And he reserves his harshest criticism for those who would seek to be accepted by external behavior, by, uh, by legalism. And so he just fires off this warning. But he didn't just, he wasn't just, you know, in a rage. He was actually let us in on his heart. And we learned at the end of this was that his heart is like a mother who wants to protect his uh, her kids that you know just found out like oh my gosh you've been in you've been playing in the street all day and you thought that was safe but oh you this could have happened and this could have happened and this could have happened and at the end of that he was it just kind of like the love for his kids got over him he's like oh I just want to gather you up and protect you and that's what Jesus wants to do he's warning us he wants to help us with something that appears to be safe but it actually can be very very deadly in fact he calls those who practice this thing satanic, which is where we get the series practicing uh, a form of Christianity that is not of God, but actually of the devil himself. And some of you are like, man, I want to go back to the happy church. So I'm glad that you're here. Uh, give, me a, give us another crack at this. Um, um, legalism is a fierce enemy that tries to, to suck us in at every quarter. And so again, last week we, we, we talked about the warning. And these next couple of weeks, I want to give us a couple tools where we can how can we be proactive in, in pushing back against this, keeping legalism at bay? And one of my concerns for us is that we don't think it can be us. I mean, that's one of the tricky things about legal. No one thinks it can be them. I was so encouraged by one of our older saints, Marvin Bowler. He sent me an email. He's like, oh, man, what a dagger. And then he quoted Psalm 60, excuse me, Psalm 26.2, which basically says, examine my heart, O God. And, and he, what an example for us just to be at this place in his life, lived, uh, walked with Jesus for a really long time, but just understanding like, hey, this could be me too. And I want to, I want to open my heart up to see um, how, if this can be me. And becoming a Pharisee can becoming, uh, can, can be any of us. And, and just because you haven't been this way up to your, up to this point, doesn't mean it's not crouching at your door. As they say, in investing past performance is no guarantee of future results. In fact, that's what Pharisees do. They focus in on their past behavior and they don't, they, at the expense of looking forward to Christ. And this happens accidentally and subtly. Sometimes it's with good intentions. Like, man, we, you know, we, we, we experienced that thing in, as a, you know, in college, or we came across a book, or we did this, we did that. And you're really excited and enthusiastic about what you've gone. And you look around, you're like, you know, how come nobody else is like this? And you're like, what's the matter with these people? And it creeps in. You see, one of the things that you know where Pharisee, uh, this idea of legalism has creeped in is where there's a category of people you look down on. It's so tempting to do that. The, 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 the view can be breathtaking. Looking at other people and looking down on them. Why are they this way? And, 
you know, these people just exhaust me and I don't like the, you know, and you just, in, in your sense of like, this is what's, what is right, you can begin to look down at other people. And if you have, if there's anybody that you have like, thank God I'm not them list. Like this creeps in so fast. In fact, God uh, says in Proverbs, there are seven things. He gives us seven things that he finds to be abominable. There are six things it says in Proverbs 6 that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes. And for you youth, that's not a reference to physical attractiveness. It's not like, oh, his eyes are so haughty. No, it's, it, <laughs> it, is, it is a perspective. I know you're disappointed in me. It's a perspective where you look down on other people. This is on God's I hate it when you do this list. The number one thing that he finds abominable is for you to look down on someone else. Pride. In other words, it's the worst thing you can look at. The worst thing you can look at is down on others. In other words, God would rather you have a porn problem than a pride problem. Now, don't have either one. But this is how big of a deal this is to him. And so how do we avoid falling in this trap? Or Paul's answer to the Galatians is to be led by the Spirit, to come under the control of the Spirit, which is to say, we, so we throw around this, this lingo, we want to be filled with the Spirit. In our pride, we resist the Spirit. In our humility, we submit to the Spirit. And when we say we want to be filled with the Spirit, it's not so much that we're saying we want more of God, because he was so clear, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. It's not like God's being stingy with himself, I'll give you a little bit of now. If you, come, if you do really well, I'll come back and give you more tomorrow. It's not what it says. So in other words, it's not so much that we get more of God as that God gets more of us. We stop budgeting ourselves out to God. Because this is what we do. God, you can have this much of my ambition. You can have this much of my schedule. You can have this much of this. You can have this much of my passion, this much of my energy, and the rest is for me. We, so, we, so we budget out God and we give our heart to money when we should be budgeting money and giving our heart to God. This message isn't by money, by the way, but you should write that down. Being filled with the Spirit is when we say, God, you can have all of it. You can have all of me. I don't want anything in me to be anything but you. I want to be, I want all of it. I don't want to, I don't want to budge you out. So Paul, I did, we did, this wasn't read, but it's worth mentioning in, in the first verse of chapter 5, we get kind of the theme of the chapter and really the whole book. It says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ has saved us from our sin and he saved us to freedom. And he's saying it's possible. In fact, it happens easier than you think that we just go back to slavery. We go back to uh, trying to prove ourselves. We are constantly trying to please God by our externals. So we, so we become a Christian. God, God, I'm a terrible leader of my life. I want to give my life to you. We, become a, we don't just get new manners. We, we become a new creation, and, and he begins to build stuff in us. And then we subtly begin to just know the externals of a changed life and play those externals at the expense of at the expense of becoming what we call legalistic. So we're con constantly trying to produce fruit because that's what we think that makes God happy. But the Bible's so clear. So Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's God through me. It's what he's doing in me. It's not what I do for him. It's what he's doing in me and through me and for me. It's what he's doing. It's not what, it's not what I am doing. 
And this idea that we have to like obey these rules for acceptance, we go back to kind of a slavery where we're insecure and we're fearful and we just kind of live measured Christian lives, which is not the goal. It's not his intent for us. Paul says it, I think, a little more clearly in Romans 8. He says, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by, if, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And in context, a spirit of slavery just means... Um, a, a religious spirit, a legalistic, you do not, you do not receive this. You do not receive the spirit of like, you've got to prove yourself to me. That just causes you to fall back into fear. Am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Will people accept me? Will God accept me? That's not the spirit that you have received. You have received a spirit of adoption, of acceptance, of inclusion, which causes you to be bold and not fall back into fear. We feel trapped by this. We feel insecure by this. Freedom is knowing that, every, that God has given us everything necessary, not only to be safe from our sin, but everything necessary for God to be pleased with us. So here at Jubilee Church, we don't just believe in a cross. We believe in the sufficiency of a cross, which is to say that he's done it all. He's done it all for us, and we receive that, and we accept that. It is our flesh that'll, call, that'll push us toward lawlessness, or it'll push us toward legalism. Two ditches on the same road, and the enemy doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off on, as long as you fall off. He wants you in those ditches. It's re- both relying on the flesh. Doing obviously sinful stuff is relying on the flesh. Get, do, Thinking that you can be good enough in in and of your own works is relying on the flesh, and it brings slavery. It doesn't bring freedom. Verse 13, for you're called to freedom. Only do not use your uh, freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And the flesh doesn't want to do anything except please the self. And I I know this is kind of corny and cheesy, but what's in the middle of sin? It's It's I. It's I am. Like, it's me. It's what I do. And we lose the plot that this Bible is not primarily about what you must do for God. This Bible is about what, you, what God has done for you. This, isn't about, this is not about a God that you have to seek. This is about a God who's come and sought you out. Jesus said that the spirit gives life, but the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit of God in us that's life. It's the spirit of God in us that's joy. It's the spirit of God in us that produces all of these things that we want. So now we're, we're at our text in verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. In other words, they're opposed to each other, which means it's not like, well, I'll do a little bit of God stuff and I'll do a little bit of me stuff. No, it doesn't work that way. They're against each other. They're opposed. They're enemies. You're, you your flesh is an enemy of what God wants to do in your life. It's bizarre to me sometimes I'll hear people say, well, you know, God wants me to be happy. He does, but not, not through you. Not because of you or what you want. Your flesh will lead you into a ditch. It will bring death in your life. 
It'll bring death to relationships. It'll bring death to peace, death to joy. It'll bring death to all the things that make life sweet. To keep you from doing from the things that you want to do. And I love that because in a religion, you obey because you have to. In the gospel, you obey because you want to. It's not about things that you, oh, I gotta do this. The flesh always wants to lead you to legalism or lawlessness. And depending on your personality and outside the Spirit's intervention, you'll go in one ditch or the other. Legalism treats God as like this cosmic vending machine. As long as I do what I'm, if I put in the right inputs, I'm gonna get the good outputs. I do righteousness and my own. The problem with legalism is your bar is way too low. There's always going to be somebody better. There'll be some Christian on steroids who wakes up, God knows what time. Like, is God even up that early? Like, what are you doing up that early? And I'm like, well, that's my job to wake him up. I didn't say that. That's not true. But then you lose joy. You know, it's just like, I owe, I owe. It's off to church I go. And hey, you want to come with me? No, I don't. (laughs) You're joyless. You're lifeless. It's about rule following. Works of the flesh are evident. And it gives this list of sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, divisions, envy, all kinds of things. Dissatisfaction, destruction, damnation. And these works of the flesh are not just the bad people. This isn't, this is how bad people live. This is how good people live, and this is how bad people. That's not what it says. This is what it, this is the result of relying on your flesh. This is where this ends up. It's a path that you walk. The spirit, on the other hand, so the flesh always produces lawlessness or legalism. Always. Can't do anything else except that. The spirit always produces freedom and fruit. All in favor of freedom and fruit? All right, let's do that. For those who um, raised your hand, um, praying for the rest of you. Okay, so the fruit of the spirit, nine things he mentions. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such thing. There is no law. Obvious point here, it says this is the fruit of the spirit. Um, means it's his, not yours. This is what he produces in your life, not what you produce. I've said this before, like there's no such, you know, it's not like you read your Bible, look, you know, you read your Bible, you pray, you give to the poor, and it's like, look at me, I'm Christianing, I'm doing Christian. That's not it. It's, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's what's Christ doing in you. It's what God does in you that produces this. This is his thing, not your thing. This is what he does. It's about abiding in him. It's about connecting in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Not something. Nothing. Nothing of any value. It's being connected to him. Relationship. I worked at a golf course um, where Brett Hall was a member growing up. If you don't know who Brett Hall is, um, may God have mercy on your soul. Um, He was the Patrick Mahomes of hockey. Does that help? The Taylor Swift of hockey. Is that better? Okay, whatever. Um, 
And so I, wore, I was a bad guy. I was the bad boy, and, um, which means you are to be seen but not heard. You just kind of did your job. One day I was asked to go uh, pick up uh, Brett Hall from one of the holes because his golf cart, his battery died. So I went to go pick him up, and the ride back was about 10 minutes or so. It was, it's a big course very on the very edge of the, of the course. And, and um, you know, I thought I handled myself pretty well. You know, I, I felt like I developed some rapport. I asked him some questions. He asked me some questions. I gave him some hockey advice. He laughed, laughed at my hockey advice. And, um, but if you were to uh, stumble across him one day, or probably more likely he stumbles into you, but we, um, and he was to say, I know hockey players know that. <laughs> Terrible joke. I can't believe, <laughs> can't believe he's the pastor. The, but if he was to say somehow, like, hey, if, if you were to stumble, you know, if you were to meet him, and you were to say, hey, Brian Mary says hi, he'd be like, who? You know, 1992, Nord Hills Country Club. You know, you were, you were, your, your card had broken down, and he saved the day. Remember, remember that? He'd be like, no, 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 no idea. And um, here, here's my fear for anyone who claims the name of Jesus, is that you know Jesus like I know Brett Hall. You can, you can give me some stats. You can give me some facts. You can even tell me about an experience you had with him years ago. But you don't have a relationship with him. There'll be many on that day. Say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do good works? Did we not read our Bibles? Did we not do these things? And he will say with tears in his eye, depart from me, I never knew you. When we stop trusting in this connection, this relationship, and we start relying on religious activity and knowledge. It's similar to how we feel about celebrities. The most popular magazines are filled with information with people we don't know. But you listen to people talk and it's like we know them. We don't know them. We know about them. The invitation of God is not to simply know facts about him, but it's to know him. And unlike celebrities, he wants to know you. He's got time for you. He's interested in you. That's the picture in the back of the book, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I am standing at the door and knocking, waiting for someone to open the door and let me in. That's what I want. I want relationship. I want connection. It's through this connection that these things are produced. It's his. It's not ours. If you're a Christian, you have this fruit. It may be embryonic, barely perceptible, but it's there. And it's meant to be in you and growing. And without it being in you and growing, you can't really be sure that you're a Christian. It's, the Bible says it that strongly. Now, here's what happens for those of us on the legalistic path. We get afraid. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, I better, I better, better attach branches on this, on this tree of mine. It's not how it works. It's not what you do. It's about what he does through you. It's about a relationship. Don't go to yourself. Don't go to your works. Go to him. He does it. But he's so clear. Jesus said, and I got two Matthews and two Johns for you. 
You will recognize them by their fruits. The kingdom of God will be given to people producing its fruits. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is that, it's he, it, he it is that bears much fruit. That was, I don't want to criticize the organization of that sentence, but that was rough. Anyway, maybe it's me. Okay, it's me. By this, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, just to be super clear, Again, this isn't about like, hey, like we got to do these things in order to demonstrate. It's like these things just happen. It's like if you were to tell me that's an apple tree, I would expect to see apples. If you tell me that's an orange tree, I would expect to see oranges. If you tell me that's a Christian, I would expect to see Christ living through them. And what does it look like? Well, he mentions nine things. It means love. The biblical definition of love is serving the needs of others for their sake and not yours. It means you don't give up on people. It means you don't have favorites. Joy, to delight in the creator, not the creation, which enables you to have joy despite your circumstances. Peace, non-anxious. Patience, the ability to be wronged and suffer without bitterness. Kindness and goodness. I just, I think it's basically integrity, not spinning things. You're just honest. You're just faithfulness, courage, reliability, assertiveness, gentleness, blessed self-forgetfulness, humility, not worried about how people are treating you or thinking about you. That's what gentleness does. Self-control. I mean, if you're good at the other ones, you're good at this one. Now, a lot, of this, a, lot of, a lot of us will look at this list, and I know I do anyway, and think, well, I'm good at some of them, but not others, right? You know, someone say, I'm a pretty bold person, but perhaps a little rough around the edges. I can be clear and direct, but people often say I'm not as sensitive as I should be. Others will say, I'm, I'm gentle and kind, but I don't like to assert myself. I don't like conflict, in other words, I'm good at some of these things, but not others. Paul would say that is impossible. And here's why. Because the word fruit here, even in the Greek, not just in the English, in the, is the, the word fruit here is singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. So a diamond can have many facets to it. It can have many angles and contours, but it's still one diamond. This is one thing that gets produced that has many different facets. Spiritual immaturity, sin, is self-centered. Remember the whole cheesy, you know, what's in the middle of sin? I, okay, anyway. Self-absorption, self-pity, self-justification, neediness is the heart of spiritual immaturity. Spiritual maturity, though, displaces spiritual immaturity when God-centeredness replaces self-centeredness. That's spiritual maturity. So in the middle of all the self-pity, self-justification, and the neediness comes the love of God and the joy of God, and it displaces the self-centeredness, and you experience the fruit of the Spirit all at once. Because there's such a thing as temperamental gentleness. Some people are just naturally gentle. You know, a bunch of teddy bears you are. But not very assertive. Some of you are very temperamentally assertive and bold, but not very sensitive and kind. You want to know why? Naturally, our personality is an expression of self-centeredness. 
So temperamental gentleness can be a form of cowardness. And you may be really gentle because you're really cowardly. And that's why you can't assert yourself. Or, on the other hand, you could be really assertive because you're arrogant and you're really confident in what you think. But when God-centeredness and self, uh, excuse me, when God-centeredness displaces a self-centeredness, assertiveness and gentleness grow together. Because if you're growing in one of them, or excuse me, if you're not growing in one of them, you're not growing in any of them. And here's the point. That's why I'm talking from this passage. Here's the point. Your attempts to be, for spiritual growth are become legalistic because it's based upon your personality. I do these things, but I don't do these things. So if you've got categories in your mind of what you do and don't do based upon your personality, that's what he's saying. You're just adding things that are just your form of righteousness, just like the Pharisees. Pharisees had a list, and, they, and their list was, you guessed it, the ones that they liked. And they had ones that they didn't like. So Jesus would say, hey, you do this over here. You're really good. You, know, you, 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 you tithe off your spice rack. You like that, but you ignore justice and mercy. Because it's you. It's not what I'm doing in you. If it, if it was me what's doing in you, you'd do both. They're not of God, they're of you. So the question is, is can you recognize your flesh at work in your life? Do you know what that looks like? There's a flesh, you think, you know, computer people. Here's your, you can have a flesh operating system. You have a spirit operating system. You have to notice where your heart is at work. See, your flesh operating system, because it produces either lawlessness or legalism, it doesn't just cause you to do bad things, lawlessness. So as long as I stay away from lawlessness, I'm okay. There's another ditch on the other side of the road. It's called legalism. So it can cause you to even to make a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, like family. So it's not just, you know, you're, if, if you make family and kids the center, You'll crush them or they'll crush you. Same thing with money, same thing with anything. If you make it an ultimate thing. I'll use me as an example, which I hate to do. Why do I preach? Oh, Brian, you're, like, you wanna, you're called by God. You want to honor God. You want to help people. Wrong. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it's about me. Sometimes, I know this is hard to believe based upon the way I am, but I do want people to like me. Uh, I do want to have a good reputation. I do want to help people. Um, I want to be effective. And I, I, really, I really like that. And, you know, sometimes people come, I mean, I just, and I, and I remember people would come up to me and say things, like, oh, this is a great sermon. And, I, and because I wanted that, I would nervously say things, and you might have heard, oh, that, that, was, that, was, that was all God. Until one time I said that, and somebody said, well, it wasn't that good. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it was all God, I would expect something a little better than that. And then I realized that 
what I was doing, so I don't say anymore. But sometimes in preparing a sermon, the prep doesn't go well. Um, I don't know what you guys think I do with my week. Somebody came up to me one time, like, hey, do you have a job during the week? I'm like, well, believe it or not, this takes a little bit to put together. I know it doesn't seem like that, but there's a little thought that goes into it. Um, but sometimes it doesn't go well, and I get anxious and irritable. And I'll snap at Rachel. It's my wife. And she'll be like, what's wrong? And I'll say nothing. Because I know that I should not feel that way. If I tell her why I am upset, so I don't say it. I just say nothing. And she believes me. She's like, well, well can, you go for the, can you go to the store for me then? And I'll say yes, but secretly be enraged that she asked me. Because what I really need to be doing is make this sermon better so I can help people be more like Jesus. <laughs> it's, not a, it's a lot funnier when you say it out loud. You know when you don't? <laughs> I remember this one time, last December, it, this exact scenario played out. I mean, just this past September. And uh, you remember the Joy to the World series and Christmas? I was, I was preparing Joy to the Weary. And, <laughs> I am. Um, and so I'm at the store during Christmas time, and I'm waiting in line, and my irritability is growing exponentially. And it's about ready to give birth to all-out rage um, because the checkout woman is taking her sweet little time telling stories and making friends when there's... And um, the irony, again, of this particular sermon was is about entering the rest of God. And so, you know, about being a non-anxious presence. And so in God's grace, he kind of just pointed this out, like, you know, pointed this out to me, pointed out my immaturity, and just in the nick of time, because it was my turn, and the cashier asked me how my day was. And in one of the greatest spiritual breakthroughs of my life, I smiled. <laughs> and I said, I'm great. How are you? And that was it. That was it. That was my big breakthrough. And so... Um, do you recognize when your flesh is at work? Do you recognize the difference? Are you being controlled by your flesh or by the spirit? Ever I just can't help myself. It's impossible to be full of the spirit if you're full of yourself. Where the spirit reigns, the law and the flesh no longer have control. See, we don't want to be out of control, lawlessness, but we don't want to be in control, legalism. We want to be under control of the Spirit. We want to be under His influence. That's why it says in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. The order is important. The imperative always comes from the indicative, meaning it doesn't say those who crucify the flesh belong to Christ. Sometimes we'll read that. If I was really a Christian, I'd be crucifying the flesh. If I really loved Jesus, I'd be obeying him. It's not what it says. It says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, this inward work that he's doing in us, we will also keep in step with the Spirit outward. You have two options with the flesh. You gratify it or you crucify it. You gratify it or you crucify it. You don't negotiate with it. You don't negotiate with terrorists. 
Don't negotiate with your flesh. It wants to terrorize you. It wants to kill you. What do you, what do you think you're safe from? The world? Sure. The devil? Of course. The real thing that you needed to be safe from is you. That's what I need to be safe from. I needed to be saved from me, from thinking that I can do this, that I can be wise in my own eyes, that I can somehow build a, a, a justification for who I am. That's what the cross is about. That bloody mess called the cross was about the fact that you can't do this. The flesh so wants to feed and build the flesh. You can gratify it or you can kill it. Like a dead corpse to me. Paul said that. I the world is crucified to me and I to the world. My, I crucify my flesh. Trying to justify yourself is like trying to put out a fire with gasoline. You're just going to make it worse. My goal for you here to leave is not with some action steps on how you can be a better person or cultivate change in your life. It's not how it works. In fact, some of you maybe even think, oh man, this is really good. I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna work on that. Man, can I just say, if you have that instinct, this is like level 10, level 11, huge problem in your life. And it just demonstrates how insidious our flesh can be. You can't change you. You don't need new manners. You don't need just to get rid of a few, few bad habits. You need to become a different person. You need, your old life needs to die and your new, you need to have a new life reborn. And if you are a Christian, that's what, exactly what's happened to you. Now, some of you may not be. And you may not even know that. You, you, hear, you ever hear a guy named John Wesley or Martin Luther? One started the Methodist movement, one started the Lutheran movement. Great guys that we all quote. They, were, they got converted after they had become clergy. They preached the Bible and then they realized that they weren't actually a Christian. If it can happen to them, it can happen to you. But if you are, even if it's just like a smoldering, insignificant wick. I just want you to know that Jesus is not someone who wants to come in and stomp it out. He wants to bring the oxygen of heaven around that little smoldering wick and make it into a flame. And that's the only oxygen, by the way, that works. Your oxygen will just snuff it out. He wants to fan it into flame. Would you stand with me? Some of you have this deal where you don't like to respond. Um, you came the wrong day. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is not the day where not responding is the thing to do. Because it's the very, the very opposite the very opposite is 
Well, it's what Marvin said. God, if there's any, this is in me at all, will you take it out of me? Will you examine my heart? Will you show me? And if you know that, man, I, I know this is true. I know when I get snubbed. I know when this happens. I just, it irks me, irritates me. It, I, I know that I'm, I'm trying to put up a front. Not, don't want anybody to get too close to see the real me. You, the answer is not, the answer is Jesus. He, he wants to, he's at your door. He's knocking. He's not going to barge his way in. He's waiting for you. He's not going to snuff you out. He wants to fan that into flame. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to protect you. He wants to save you from you. And he wants to protect you from you to going back into slavery that he saved you out of. Jesus, will you reveal your kindness and gentleness and love to us? And we don't want to rely on the fruit of Brian and rely on the fruit of the Spirit. We don't want to rely on the fruit of Jennifer. We don't rely on the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about what we do. It's about what you've done for us. We thank you for the promise that you do all the heavy lifting, that you will complete in us this good work that you started. You started it. It's your fruit. You'll complete it. We don't have to manufacture it. We just stay connected to you, relying on you, trusting you, depending on you. Do you give us the grace to incline our hearts to you, to turn us away from ourselves and turn back to you, Lord Jesus.